0: As you can see, Pastor John is not preaching today, Uh, so I have the privilege to bring you the word of uh, the Lord. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Tony, and uh, I'm married to my wife, Becky. We have two daughters, Zoe and uh, Abigail. We have been attending Redemption Calgary North for the past few years. Um, also, I'm a seminary student currently completing my uh, Bachelor of Divinity. So, at Redemption Calgary North, we have been going through the book of uh, Joshua. It, it, it is a, it's a marvelous book, it's very rich uh, in theology, and I strongly encourage you to study it on your own. So, our text for today comes from Joshua chapters 20 and 21. So, if you don't have a Bible, you can uh, look. Uh, in the pews, and you'll find one. Uh, If you have your Bible, uh, please turn it to Joshua chapter 20, and we're only going to read chapter 20 today. So starting at verse 1 of Joshua chapter 20, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Say to the people of Israel, Appoint the cities of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, That the manslayer who strikes any person without intent uh, or unknowingly may flee there. it shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. He shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand, because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. He shall remain in that city until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home, to the town from which he fled." So they set apart Kadesh in Galilee, in the hill country of Naphtali, and Shechem in the, hill, uh, in the hill country of Ephraim, and Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the hill country of Judah, and beyond the Jordan, east of Jericho, the appointed Bezer, in the wilderness of the Tableland, from the tribe of Reuben, and Ramoth in Gilead, from the tribe of Gad, and Golan in Bashan, from the tribe of Manasseh. These were the cities designated for all the people of Israel and for the strangers sojourning among them that anyone who killed a person without intent could flee there so that he might not die by the hand of the avenger of blood till he stood before the congregation this is the word of the lord so as i was preparing for uh, for this sermon you know i was reflecting on this time of the year Uh, many of us are either going on a vacation or coming back from one. Now, how many of us go on a vacation only to come back more tired? You know, between uh, screaming kids, family reunions, and sleeping in a bed that is uh, different than your own, it can be more of a stressful vacation than anything else. And often, we need a vacation from our vacation, and before you know it, we're back to work. Stresses keep building up until our, next, until our next vacation, and the cycle keeps repeating itself. So we keep trying to find rest. Why is that? Well, it is because we all long deep down within us for rest. And that longing is a desire that can only be fulfilled by God. So that's the big idea of our text today. God gives everlasting rest to those who make God their unshakable refuge. Let me say this again. God gives everlasting rest to those who make God their unshakable refuge. So to give us a little bit of a context uh, for the book of Joshua, it comes right after the events of the Exodus. It is when God delivered Israel from Egypt, And Moses led God's people through the wilderness. After 40 years, they had arrived at the promised land. However, Moses and the previous generation had died before taking possession of the promised land. Now God has given Joshua the task of leading the people of Israel into taking possession of the promised land. So up to this point in the book, we see how Joshua obeyed God and conquered the land and divided the land among the people of Israel. So this brings us to chapters 20 and 21 of the book of Joshua. So my aim for us today is twofold. One, I want us believers to grow in our understanding of the refuge we, uh, we have and the rest we have been given in Christ. Two, if you are here today and do not believe in Jesus Christ... As your Savior, I want you to know that rest is available to you as well. And the way you receive that rest is by making Christ your refuge. But before we go any further, let's bow our heads in prayer. God of heaven and earth, I thank you for your word. You are a faithful and merciful God. Please speak through me as I bring your word to your people. Holy Spirit, move among us. And I ask you that you be glorified today. It is a miracle that any of us who believe in you are here today. Salvation is a miracle and it's only from you. Blessed be your name. Pray all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. We're going to look at our first main point. Refuge is offered. Refuge is offered and promised by God. So let's look at the first three verses of chapter 20. Then the Lord said to Joshua, say to the people of Israel, appoint a series of refuge of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the manslayer, which by the way means murderer, who strikes any person without intent or unknowingly may flee there. It shall be for you a refuge from the avenger of blood. Now, the Avenger of Blood refers to the family representative of the deceased who wanted to avenge the death of their loved one. And we see here that it was the Lord who initiated the fulfillment of this promise. He said to Joshua, appoint the cities of refuge as promised to Moses. It is God who made sure to remind Joshua about the promise. And if we look at the word of God, this promise was told in Exodus 21, verses 12 to 14, Numbers 35, 6 to 34, Deuteronomy 4, 41 to 43, and Deuteronomy 19, 1 to 13. The point here is that God likes to remind His people about His promises. And it was God who ensured. That this promise became a reality. I mean, after all, if you look the preceding 19 chapters of the book of Joshua, it is God who fulfilled all the promises that he had made to Moses. So there's a reason why the Bible records the fulfillment of this promise. It is so that we remember and see that God is faithful to fulfill What he promised to his people. So in the same way that our credit history gives us confidence and gives confidence to the bank that we can apply for a mortgage or a credit card. God's perfect record of faithfulness gives us, his people, confidence that God will continue to be faithful and fulfill all his promises made to us in his word. So God has fulfilled, is fulfilling, and will fulfill all that he promises. Now, you don't need to turn there, but in Numbers twenty uh, three nineteen, this is the same book where God made the promise to Moses regarding these cities of refuge. We learn that God cannot lie. He cannot change his mind. If he makes a promise, he will and must fulfill it. God is faithful. He is all-powerful, and no one can stop him from accomplishing his plans. Listen to what Job 42.2 tells us. I know that you can do all things, and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. And Psalm 15:3 also reminds us, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Now, this should give us great confidence as we read the promises of God in His Word. So, there are three promises here for you today that you can have confidence in. And I encourage you to write this down. Number one, Jesus promises rest in Him. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30. Jesus promises spiritual fulfillment in Him. John 10, 10. And Jesus promises eternal life to those who trust in Him. John four fourteen. I want us to have confidence in the Word of God. He makes us promises, and we can trust these promises. So now let's look in verses 4 to 6, and we see the purpose of the cities of refuge. We read... He, the manslayer, shall flee to one of these cities and shall stand at the entrance of the gate of the city and explain his case to the elders of that city. Then they shall take him into the city and give him a place and he shall remain with them. And if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not give up the manslayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unknowingly and did not hate him in the past. He shall remain in that city Until he has stood before the congregation for judgment, until the death of him who is high priest at the time. Then the manslayer may return to his own town and his own home to the town from which he fled. We see here that refuge is offered and provided through a substitute. Refuge is offered and provided through a substitute. In these verses, God is showing us his great mercy. By giving a place of refuge and a method of appeal to the manslayer. Now, the manslayer was not truly innocent. I mean, he committed murder even though he was unintentional. Murder happened. Somebody died. Now, I'm sure you may be asking yourself by now, how does one commit unintentional murder? Well, I'm glad you asked. The Deuteronomy 19, 4-5 gives us the perfect illustration. You don't need to uh, turn there. If anyone kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in the past, here's the example, as when someone goes into the forest with his neighbor to cut wood and his hand swings the axe to cut down a tree and the head slips from the handle and strike his neighbor so that he dies. He may flee to one of the cities and live." Again, these verses should make us reflect on the incredible mercy of God. You see, the rule of law in the culture around Joshua was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. The actions were all that mattered, not the intentions of the person. If you unintentionally murdered someone, The family representative was going to find you and kill you. It doesn't matter if you unintentionally killed your best friend. The family representative did not care about that, even if it was an accident. Somebody needed to die in that place. So God is showing us again here that the manslayer deserves a fair trial. If he committed unintentional murder, the process was that he would go to one of these cities and present his case to the elders of the city. If they found him innocent of intentional murder, he would be protected from the avenger of blood. But he needed to remain in the city until the death of the high priest. Now, if you're following carefully, you would have noticed a strange detail about the high priest. According to Genesis 9, 6, God valued human life so much that once a life was taken, there was no ransom that could be accepted for murder. Numbers 35, 30 to 31. Basically, someone had to die for the life of another. In the same way, when the high priest died, the avenger of blood could not pursue the manslayer anymore. Because of the death of the high priest, the call for justice had been satisfied. The manslayer was free to go. And just like the high priest acted as a ransom for the manslayer, Christ, our high priest, takes the punishment that we deserve. Like the manslayer, we are guilty of breaking the law of God, whether intentionally or unintentionally. In Matthew 5, 21 to 23, we're told that if we murder, we're liable to judgment. But Jesus goes on further to say that when we are angry at someone, we're liable to judgment what Jesus did he equated our anger to murder physical murder is the final product of what has grown in our hearts you see every time that we get angry at our kids every time that we're stuck in traffic and get angry at the person in front of us or we get angry at our coworkers according to the word of god and according to Jesus We have committed murder. So you can see how easy it is to break the the law of God. And Jesus further expands on the law of God and shows us that more than outward obedience, God desires a heart of obedience. Because it is the heart that God cares about. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, we read, For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Now, we have a problem here, though. Because the more we look in the Word of God, the more we learn about our hearts. Jeremiah 79 tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And if you've been in the church for any length of time, you know about the next passage, Romans three ten to 12. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. There is no such Thing as a basically good person. Please understand this. We have all failed to obey the commandments of God. We are guilty before God, and He has every right to avenge His wrath on us. And just like the manslayer, we need a place of refuge and a high priest. I encourage you to write this down. Uh, Hebrews 6, 18 to 20. We who have fled for refuge. It's talking about believers here. Fled for refuge. We might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. And we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. A hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf. And listen to this. Having become a high priest forever. And Romans 5.9 guarantees us that since we have now been justified by Christ's blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Through Him, We need to have a right understanding as to why we're going to Christ. Why do we believe in Christ? It is so that we flee to Christ for refuge from the wrath of God. Salvation is not about heaven, even though heaven is a product of salvation. It is about escaping the wrath of God. Listen to what Spurgeon says. Quote, man do not flee for refuge when there is no distress. The vessel puts not into the harbor of refuge when winds and waves all favor her. A man does not escape out of a city like Lot from Sodom unless he be persuaded that the city is to be destroyed. And that he is likely to perish in it. Indeed, we who are saved confess with gratitude to him that has delivered us that we were once in danger. In danger, my brethren, is the word strong enough? In danger of eternal burnings. It was worse than that, for we are brands plucked out of the fire we already burned with that fire of sin, which is the fire of hell, end quote. Christ died on the cross for the sins of those who would believe in him. He was raised to life victorious. Now, if you do not believe in Jesus Christ, God is merciful to you today. The refuge of Christ is available to you, and God calls you to recognize your need for him. You must understand the danger you are in and that your good actions alone will not save you. Remember, there's no one that is good. And Jeremiah tells us that even our good works are like filthy rags to him. You must repent of your sins and believe in Jesus Christ as the perfect sacrifice for you. And that he is your savior from the wrath of God. Now is the time of salvation. Now is the time for you to repent, not tomorrow. The Bible tells us very clearly, we do not know if tomorrow we will live. We don't. There's no guarantee that we will live till the end of the day today. So please do not harden your hearts and repent and believe in Christ. Now, to those of us who believe in Jesus, who have placed our rest in Him and our refu- find refuge in Him. Just like Spurgeon said, we must be filled with gratitude toward God who delivered us from our sins and His judgment. If you as a Christian are not living a life filled with gratitude toward God, maybe, just maybe, you have not recognized what Christ has saved you from. Eternal damnation. God's judgment. Now, I know the past two years have been very difficult for all of us. With COVID, churches being shut down, we couldn't gather together. There were broken marriages. Drunkenness, addictions, failed businesses, financial difficulties, health problems, you name it. Yet, we are called To give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So when you are in these worst possible situations, if you have repented of your sins and placed your faith in Christ, you are blessed beyond measure. Psalm 32 tells you, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Please let that fill you in all circumstances. Fill you with gratitude and repentance. So Christ is a permanent refuge for you if you believe in Him. Now let's look at verses 7 to 9. Refuge is offered and it is in proximity. Refuge is offered and it is in proximity. In verses 7 to 9, and I'm not going to read these verses, we see that the congregation of Israel set apart six cities to be used as the cities of refuge. Now, just like a city planner uh, would strategically place gas stations and rest stops along stretches of highways, these cities were strategically placed uh, throughout the promised land. Basically, no matter where you were, you were, all, you were only a day's journey away from these cities. Again, what is highlighted for us here is God's mercy. God made sure that the manslayer had many opportunities to flee to one of these cities. And I want you to know that God shows us his mercy not only once, but over and over and over again. And that is why the writer of Lamentations can easily say the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. And there are new every morning. Grace is your faithfulness. And like the cities of refuge, God's mercies toward us are many and readily available and near to us. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen tells us that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the Christian spirit. The mercy you find in Christ as you take refuge in Him from God's judgment isn't something we experience just one time. And many of us have this faulty view that once we are saved, that's it. We experience God's mercy every single day. And that same mercy we experienced at our salvation is available to us as we fight against the devil, the temptations of this world, and our own flesh. Remember, I told you that you can trust the promises of God. Right? There's a promise for you here in 1 Corinthians ten thirteen. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, and that God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. As you're fighting against the devil, the temptations of this world, and your own flesh, you must, there's no option here, you must flee to Christ and find refuge in Him. Flee from your sin. Philippians 4, 6 tells us not to be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And Psalm 46, 1 tells us that God is our refuge and strength of very present help in trouble. So we need to run to Christ and find refuge in Him. How do we do that? Prayer. Prayer is one of the ways we do that. Pray without ceasing. Do you pour out your heart to God in prayer? It's okay to cry. Especially for us men. Trust me, it's okay to cry. Are you firmly grounded in his word? You need to know your Bibles well. God speaks to you through his word. So you must know your Bibles beyond just a yearly reading plan. Study the Bible. Pray to God. Now, the Christian life does not have to be burdensome. And our merciful God provides us many ways that we can, that we can experience rest. Which brings us to our second and last main point, Rest is supplied through God. Rest is supplied through God. We read in verses 1 to 3 of chapter 21. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar, the priest, and to Joshua, the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them, a Chilo in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses they would be given cities to dwell in along with, the pasture, with their pasture lands for livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the cities the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The Levites here were the priests of the congregation of Israel. Their main duties were to teach the people of Israel the commandments of the Lord. And we also see here that the Levites came to Joshua and Eleazar and reminded them of the promise that God made to Moses in Numbers 35, 1-8. to The promise was for the Levites to receive 48 cities and pasture lands from the land that was distributed to the people of Israel. The Levites asked for what was promised to them in verses 3. We see that the people of Israel responded in obedience to what God had promised to the Levites and gave them 48 cities and lands. The point here is that the Levites knew what God had promised to them and believed that this promise was being fulfilled and was going to be fulfilled. And they took the initiative to ask for their cities and pasturelands, lands. They were asking for what they needed to perform their priestly duties. Now, just like the Levites, we must ask God to give us that which he has promised to us. But in order to do that, we need to be people of the word. Jesus tells us in John 15, 7, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now let me stop here for a second. Does that mean that you're going to have your guaranteed healing here today? That everything will go well? That you will never have any tribulations and any problems? and All your relationships will be restored? Absolutely not. This is not what this text means. What it means is that we need to have a right understanding of God's Word in context. And when His word dwells richly in us, we pray according to His will. So we need to know His will. And to know His will, we need to look at His word. And then our prayers become powerful. Why? Because we are praying for things that God wants to answer. Not every single prayer that we pray, God will answer. So we must pray according to His will. And I encourage you to write this. Here's an example. It is God's will that you give thanks to Him. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 It is His will that you do good works. 1 Peter 2.15 And to be sanctified and avoid sexual immorality. 1 Thessalonians 4.3 God wants you to have self-control. Galatians 5.22-23 Again, we need to study our word. We need to know what God wants for us, and you find this in, your, in His word. Now notice as well in our text, that the Levites were not giving land, but only cities to dwell in. Why? Joshua 13:33 tells us, "But to the tribe of Levi, Moses gave no inheritance. The Lord, God of Israel, is their inheritance." Just as he said to them. And David, picking up on this language, says in Psalm 16 The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, You are my Lord, and I have no good apart. From you. And I hope that this is the confession of all of us here that believe in Jesus Christ. That Christ alone is our inheritance and our good, and we find our ultimate satisfaction and rest in Him. You will not find good and rest for your souls in anything else apart from Christ. Not in sex, not in alcohol, not in people liking you, and not even in your next vacation. Apart from Christ, all these things will leave you empty. If you are burdened by your sins today, Listen to what Jesus tells you in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, being aware of your sinful nature and confessing your sins to Christ is a lighter burden and you will find rest in him. It is better than being stubborn and remaining in your sin. Psalm 16.4 warns those who love their sin. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply, not maybe, but will. It will multiply. But again, God's mercy is rich and He gives us many opportunities for rest. He gives us the church, the local body here to find rest. Let's look at verses 4 to 42. Rest is supplied through the local church. Rest it's applied through the local church. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to read these verses, but I encourage you to read them on your own time. Here in verses 4 to 42, the cities are named, as well as the pasture lands. The main point of interest is that the people of Israel allocated 48 cities to the Levites. And these Levite towns were everywhere in the promised land. You could not go into a town without running into a Levitical priest. It would be comparable today to going into any Canadian city and finding at least one solid gospel preaching church. Think about that. How amazing would that be? Calvin puts it this way, quote, The Levitical priests were as a kind of guardians in every district to retain the people in the pure worship of God. It is true there were everywhere strangers, sojourners, but still it was with the very high dignity of acting as stewards for God and preventing their countrymen from revolting from piety. This is the reason for stating so carefully how many cities they obtained from each tribe. There were everywhere to keep watch and preserve the purity of sacred rites unimpaired, End quote. So just like the cities of refuge was God's mercy on display, the scattering of the Levites was, God, was God's grace on display. Let me say that again. Just like the cities of refuge was God's mercy on display, the scattering of the Levites was God's grace on display. God was making sure that everywhere a person went, there would be someone who could teach them the commandments of the Lord. And today, the local church is in a way like a Levite city. The local pastors ensure that the word of God is proclaimed and equip the Christians to live lives that bring glory to God. The local body of believers is a provision from God for us to bear each other's burdens and find rest amid a sinful world. Paul reminds us in Ephesians 4:11 that God gave us teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. We also learn in First Thessalonians 5:12 to 13, that we are to respect those who labor among us and are over us in the Lord. In your case it would be Pastor John and the elders. And in First Timothy 5:17, we are told that those who rule over us, that is our pastors, are worthy of double honor. Here, double honor means paying them well so that they can live a comfortable life providing for their families. You see, we are indebted to our pastors for the work they do, and we should respect them and support them well financially. They labor. I mean, think of the word labor it's toil, sweat, and tears. They labor in Christ for our spiritual good. I mean, how often do you hear, I'm sure Pastor John says this very often, that we are to fellowship with one another, to be accountable to one another. There's a reason for that. That reason is that we can experience rest from our burdens through the local body of God believers. You are given by God to one another so that you can find spiritual rest. Think about that next time you gather together and fellowship with one another. Galatians 6.2 tells us to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And in James 5.16, to confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. You must, it's, again, it's not optional here, you must be involved in each other's lives. And I hope you're longing for that after two years of covid Church is not just a Sunday stroll. It is living life together. Have people for dinner. Build the d- deep, last, rela- lasting relationship. And confess your sins to one another. Keep each other accountable. And here's a warning for you. If you remove yourself from the local body of Christ, you will suffer greatly. You cannot do the Christian walk on your own. Where two or three are gathered, according to Matthew 18, 20, does not mean you can do home church with yourself and someone else. The context of this verse is for church discipline and not for the gathering of believers. If you call yourself a Christian and are not part of a local church and are not in fellowship with believers... You're living in sin, and you are missing out on the rest that is available to you spiritually. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 tells us, to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as it is in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Finally, let's look at verses 43 to 45. Rest is supplied throughout eternity. Rest is supplied throughout eternity. We read here in verses 43 to 45 of chapter 21. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that He swore to give to their fathers, and He took possession of it. And they settled there, and the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as He had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. God's faithfulness is on display for us. Joshua is praising God for fulfilling his promises. It was Yahweh, it was God who did it all. Even though Joshua fought and led the people, all the credit belongs to God. I mean, look at the language in these verses. The Lord gave all the land that he had sworn. The Lord gave them rest the Lord had given their enemies into their hands the good promises of the Lord had made six times in the Hebrew word the word all appears the point here is that the Lord fulfilled absolutely everything he had promised to Moses and God is the one who fulfills all his promises without a single error and he is not bound by our inconsistent faith. Just like God gave the people of Israel rest, our hope of final rest is certain because God is faithful. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24. And I hope this is a great encouragement for, for all of us here who believe in Christ. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And listen to this. He who calls you, he who saves you is faithful. To do what? He will surely do it. To do what? To bring you to the finish line. To keep you in the faith. And because of that certain hope, we press forward and persevere. As the author of Hebrews reminds us, we run with endurance the race of faith set before us. Looking to Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. He endured the cross for us and he's now seated at the right hand of God. The only reason why you and I could ever say that we fought the good faith that we fought the good fight of the faith and finished the race. The only reason we could say that is because of Christ working in us. Remember, it's a promise that He made to us that He will do it. We need to trust that promise that He will do it, no matter what your circumstances are. Think of it this way. It is like when you go to sleep at night, your heart is beating and your lungs are expanding and contracting with air. And you wake up in the morning alive and ready for the day. But you did not do any of these actions by thinking about them. So in the same way, Jesus is the one who saves us, gives us faith, and makes sure we make it home to him. Christian, because of what Christ has done for you on the cross, I want you to know that you will make it to the finish line. You will see your Savior face to face. Do you fear death? Are you anxious about tomorrow? Do you live under the guilt of your sin? Repent and look to Christ. Hold fast to Him and believe in Him when He says that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor ruler, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 8, to 33. And I'll conclude with these two future promises that will come to pass. Paul reminds us in 2 Thessalonians 1 to 7, Thessalonians 1 7 to 9 that. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction, away from the presence of the Lord God and from the glory of His might. I want you to know that this will be fulfilled. If you do not believe in Jesus Christ... God is merciful to you today and offers you eternal rest and unshakable refuge in Christ. Repent of your sins and believe in Him. Now, to those of us who believe, this great picture of heaven awaits you. Revelation 21, 3-4. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This too will be fulfilled. I'll leave you with this quote from the English Puritan, Richard Baxter. Quote, O blessed rest, where we shall never rest day or night, crying, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabbaths, when we shall rest from sin but not worship, from suffering and sorrow but not from happiness. O oh, blessed day when I shall rest with God, when I shall rest in the arms and bosom of my Lord, when I shall rest in knowing, loving, rejoicing, and praising. When my perfect soul and body together shall in these perfect actions of knowing perfectly enjoy the most perfect God. When God also, who is love itself, shall perfectly love me. Yes, and rest in his love to me as I shall rest in my love to him. And rejoice over me with joy and singing as I shall rejoice in him. Let's pray.